chapter 10. We're going to get right into it. How many have enjoyed uh, the basic series? I'm sure I'm seeing a lot of new faces, so I'm sure some of you haven't even been here. Um, but for you who are new, welcome. Welcome to uh, Hilltop this morning. Um, but if you have the Bible, if you have your Bible today, actually, they're going to probably put it up on the overhead too. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Um, and I'm going to kind of jump on or uh, kind of add to, not that I think it needs uh, it, but I'm going to add to um, Rod Hall's message last Sunday. I'm going to be talking about hearing God's voice. How many were here for Rod's message? Raise your hand. Okay, so a couple of you. Awesome. How many enjoyed it? It was great, right? Such a father's heart, right? Tender man. And some of the testimonies they have, by God, some of those testimonies they were given. I, I live too comfortable. Um, I need some stories like that. Honey, empty the bank account. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Um, why don't we pray before we get into the word this morning? Um, I need God's help. You need me to have God's help. <laughs> or we're all in trouble. Father, I thank you that, that you are our helper, that you give us the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, just for the touch of the Holy Spirit this morning upon my words. Lord, that they would fall upon the ears of those listening, Lord, and, and transformation would happen because of it. We love you, Jesus, and we're here to exalt you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many are open to John chapter 10? Okay, woo, woo, John chapter 10, verse 27. I actually closed um, last Sunday with this text as uh, Rod was um, closing up his uh portion of the message in talking about hearing God's voice. A um, couple of scriptures went off in my head as he was speaking, things that I, were, I was reminded of as he was delivering the message. And this, this verse right here in verse 27 of chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, it just, I don't know, it, I, it was like pronounced in my mind, you know, and in my heart. And uh, here it is. You're probably all familiar with it. It says this, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus seems to be very certain here about this thing called hearing his voice, right? There doesn't seem to be any uncertainty in these words, are there? Jesus says, my people, sheep, if you would, I want to be a sheep. I've, I've said that before. I mean, why couldn't we be like foxes or... The bad guys have to be like the, the foxes. I mean, sheep just seem so cowardly and weak and pathetic. But anyways, that's who Jesus calls us. We are his sheep. Let's move on. Um, sadly, in my mind, as I'm reading this text and have been kind of mulling over it throughout the week, uh, it, it's sad to my heart that many Christians today uh, who live uncertain that they hear the voice of God. I, I, you know, I, I'm a pastor. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm Daryl Temple, the lead pastor of Hilltop Church, me and my wife. Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. Pastor, pro-pastor, man, through and through. Um, I get to meet with a lot of individuals throughout the course of the week and the months, and I can't help but hear like the overwhelming consensus of most of these believers' words is that they are kind of uncertain over the leadership in specific uh, to, excuse me, hearing God's voice. But here Jesus is very certain of something that most Christians today are uncertain of. That puzzles me. 
That puzzles me. Um, I'm sure there's seasons where we go and uh, at times maybe God's voice is clear and, you know, it's, uh, it's audible maybe for some of you. Um, but, but for the majority of, of us, I believe that we kind of live in the tension of like, am I hearing God's voice? Jesus, again, just to bring it into picture, he's very certain. My sheep hear my voice. The Greek word for voice here is pronounced phone. It's pronounced phone, not that you care, but I thought I would just, you know, show off, you know, a little bit, talk about the Greek, you know. It means phone. It, it simply just means a sound, a tone, a voice of the sound of uttered words, speech, of a language, of a tongue. For example, uh, the word phone is used in Matthew 3.17, where Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, and... The scripture says, lo, a voice was heard from say, saying, excuse me, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. The phone voice of God was heard. I don't know if it was to everyone that was gathered there in that moment or if it was just specifically to John and Jesus and those who are close in proximity to them. But here in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, we see the same thing. This is another familiar story. On the road to Damascus, Saul who's Paul, but at the time, uh, his name is Saul, he's on this road to Damascus, and suddenly he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Again, the phone voice, sorry, not verse, but voice, is heard. Over 131 times in the New Testament alone, it's believed by many scholars, It's believed that the phone voice, the tone of God's voice, is heard in Scripture. 131. Actually, there's some scholars that believe it's over 300 times, just in the New Testament alone, that God's voice spoke audibly to uh, to a person, an individual, or his people. That is staggering to me. But yet in the modern world, in, in modern Christianity, there are people who don't believe God speaks outside of his word. That there is no phone anymore. There's just the written text of which we hear God's voice. And to that, I would say yes and no. I'm I'm a pro-Bible guy. I love the scriptures. And I believe, in part, it's how God primarily speaks to his church. But I would also include that in God's voice, his phone voice being heard in our spirits through the Holy Spirit, if God was to contradict this scripture, then I would be concerned. Um, For example, it's unfortunate when prophets prophesy their so-called prophetic insight and it contradicts scripture. There is nothing more disheartening to me as a pastor. I can't stand it. It sends, I, I, I really... I want to get violent, but I understand the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I say, Lord. <laughs> but, but contradicting this word in the name of prophecy is a disservice to the gospel. It serves, it does not, does not serve Jesus well at all, period. But that's a message for another day. Let's get back to John chapter 10. I love how in the scripture, and I haven't read it yet, in the gospel of John chapter 10, um, 
I love how Jesus ties hearing God's voice to being part of his family. Let me say that again. Jesus, I believe here in the gospel of, chapter, of John, chapter 10, he ties hearing God's voice to being part of his family. The real present reality that lies within John chapter 10, where Jesus talks a great deal about eternal security and the things that should happen in the lives of his sheep or his people as a result of being his people or in this case, his sheep. Let's just look at the next verse, actually the next three verses in John chapter 10, 28. Jesus goes on to say, after my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, he goes on to say, I give them eternal life. Then he says, they will not perish and none of them will be snatched from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father is one. So in this case, who does Jesus give eternal life? His sheep. Who will never perish? His sheep, his people, those who belong to him. Who will never be snatched from the grips of Christ's hand? His sheep. Who are his sheep, according to Christ, is found in verse 27. Those who follow him, obey him, who hear his voice, those are whom Jesus knows. So again, we're talking about how Jesus ties hearing God's voice into being a part of his family. And even going further back at the beginning of the message, talking about Jesus is speaking so clearly here. There's no uh, mystery in Christ's words here at all. He is certain, more than certain, that those who belong to him will hear him. That's, that's, that's quite the promise. That's quite the promise in a day and age where many Christians live in the smog of, I don't know if I hear God's voice. I don't know what to do should, you know, it kind of manifests in this way. I don't know if I should move there or move there or go part, be part of this uh, intensive or go be part of this program or go work here. There's like this great, and I understand like figuring out, praying it out, but with absolute assurity, Jesus says, my sheep, my people hear my voice. I love that. Those who might question or doubt God's phone, sorry for the Greek, but I'm, it kind of sounds like I'm saying phony. Phony, it's not phony, it's phone. Those who might question or doubt that God's voice still speaks today, in all sincerity of my heart, in respect, you shouldn't. You shouldn't question that. Why? Because Jesus connects those who hear his voice are those who are his sheep. And his own will never perish. So he's tying something even larger than hearing his voice. And that's your eternal security. So if you're going to question God's voice, in my assumption... According to Jesus' words here, we probably should question our salvation. Oh, I didn't say it. I'm just the messenger. I'm just reading the gospel of John. 
it's funny that after Jesus talked about eternal life and never perishing, the response of those who are listening is much like some of our responses, our, our mice, I should say, I'll just use me as an example. Look at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to try to stone him. That's quite the reaction, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is pretty much saying to these religious, astute, elite, all those who are in nice little robes, perceived to be the hearers of Christ, no, the hearers of God, excuse me, who communicate God to, uh, you know, the people of God. He's pretty much saying, your problem today is not a hearing problem, but it's a belonging problem. I didn't say it. I mean, I did say it. (laughs) Let me say that again. Jesus is ultimately driving home right here in the gospel of John chapter 10. That your, not yours, but the main issue with those listening, those who wanted to pick up stones and kill him, was not that they had a hearing problem, but they had a belonging problem. Somebody say, oh my Lord. If you follow the narrative of John chapter 10, all the way out from verse 1 to verse 42, it will scare you. It scared me. You see, the truth of God's word can oftentimes be offensive. And if we're not careful, we can ourselves reject it. And that's exactly what's going on here. Matter of fact, that's exactly the problem in Jesus' day. Because he's unloading a lot of truth of which people are scared and terrified of. He had a big voice, a big mouth, and they wanted to shut it. Let's look into the gospel, uh, same gospel, verse 9, just to get some more context here, because I don't want you guys to leave discouraged, just challenged. In the gospel of John chapter 9, right before this, just some time before this altercation took place in John chapter 10, Jesus is walking with his homies, his disciples, and they come across the blind man. Interestingly enough, both the disciples beforehand and the religious elite afterward got this man all wrong, this blind man all wrong, right? Because as the story goes, in the first, I think, six verses of John chapter 9, his disciples immediately asked Christ, who sinned? Was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin that caused this blindness to be in this man from birth? Jesus immediately says what? No, neither, neither him nor his parents have sinned. But this is, has happened so the works of God might be manifested. So Jesus is changing the whole narrative. The disciples' minds are going right to, oh, of course, this guy's blind because he's a sinner. And Jesus is like, no, 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 right here. Jesus answered it. This is in verse 3. Was not this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him? So Jesus heals the man, and essentially the town, the surrounding area, goes into an uproar, and 
the man goes into the synagogue to testify of this healing and he is rejected. But yet, Jesus all along from the start sees this man not as a sinner and not as someone that is worthless and not able to go to the synagogue and worship God, but one who is his sheep. May not have connected as fast as I wanted it to. You go back another chapter in verse 8 of the Gospel of John. You find a woman. (laughs) See, I'm trying to point to that God is both gracious and severe. (laughs) Who was it? Um, Leonard Ravenhill talked about the severity of God and the goodness of God. Chapter 8 of John, there's a woman who's about ready to be stoned. (laughs) Luckily, Jesus is on the scene. He puts water on the fire and says, he who without sin cast the first stone. That woman's sin is forgiven, but she, and much like this man, by most are perceived to be not counted as worthy as being God's people. But in Jesus' eyes, they are. So the same Severe God who says, you don't have a hearing problem. You have a belonging problem. Has a very gracious, compassionate heart that makes blind beggars his son. He takes an adulterous woman and makes her his daughter. That is awesome. So, So just in case, as we truck on in this message, you think you're beyond... The grace of God. You're not, friend. You're not. Let's move on. Is everybody okay? All right. Am I doing all right? I'm I'm, I'm hopefully going to get more funny as time goes on, but I make no promises. Okay. Hebrews chapter 3, another verse that Rod spoke about. Hebrews chapter 3. Starting in verse 7, it says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, his voice being God, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We'll get to what that rebellion was. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They will go astray in their heart. They do not know my ways. The writer of Hebrews, the author here, is pointing to what scholars say is the failure of the Exodus generation. The failure of the Exodus generation. How many are familiar with the story of Israel's um, freedom out of captivity all the way back in Exodus? Okay. Authors, this author here in Hebrews is referring to those days. The author describes how Israel failed to respond faithfully to God's redemptive work. Let me say that again. Essentially, the author here describes how Israel failed, right? If you know the story, then you know, well, they were not allowed by God to enter their rest because they did not respond faithfully to God's redemptive work. 
This failure, listen to me now. If you're statusing and Facebook checking, just listen to me for five seconds because this is important. And then you can go back to Facebooking. You might as well do it in your heart, you know. (laughs) This failure right here that the author is pointing to becomes the negative example for his exhortation in Hebrews. The author starts in verse, uh, chapter 3, same chapter, 1 through 6, by contrasting Moses and Jesus, by con- comparing, excuse me, their father followers, excuse me, responses, and both of these massive biblical transitions. Let's go back to verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our conve- confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. To testify of the things that we were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And there comes right after that verse, the warning. He sets up in verses 1 through 6, contrasting Jesus' followers and Moses' followers and then on the backs of that, on the back of that, excuse me, comes in and says, don't be like them. Essentially saying, those who proclaim Christ, don't be like those who followed God's servant Moses. This is a warning. Found in the New Testament. Found in an error where everybody has adopted, or most everybody has adopted, this kind of greasy, kind of slimy, blah, grace, who says, I can do whatever I want because the work is finished. Christ has done it all. But yet, here's the author saying, no, 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 no. Don't be deceived. Don't fall into the same traps that the Exodus generation fell in. In other words, Moses' followers failed to enter God's promise. His promised rest due to disobedience. And we'll read further in Hebrews of where that is said and mentioned. Due to uh, disobedience and unbelief. So the author here in Hebrews exhorts the followers, I want to say father, I got God on the mind, sorry. Of the superior son of God, the son of God's house, not his servant Moses. To be careful not to repeat the pattern by failing to enter into God's end times, end time rest. In Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 10. To me, that blows a hole right through the doctrine of once saved, always saved. But that's a message for another day. 
Maybe the question that we should be asking is not once saved, always saved. Maybe we should ask, do you belong? So we have a warning to not fall prey to the traps of disobedience and unbelief like Israel did in the days of their rebellion. That we should be careful not to repeat these patterns because we may too not enter God's rest. And that is talking about the end days, my friend. Let's read further in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Once saved, always saved. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened of heart by the deceitfulness of sin. I love that. So this reads to me, and hopefully it reads to you, that in our kind of wilderness moment, here, now, this world of which we live in, this time of testing, this time of trials, we must work as a church. This is why church is so good, so glorious. We must work. If I can find myself in that. To exhort one another. We must also work, as Hebrews says here, to take care of one another, seeing to it that none of us fall prey uh, to a hardened heart, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what's so ugly about sin is it's not so obvious. This is why we need one another. One of the reasons we need one another. That was Israel's dilemma. Even so, that here, right now, the author of Hebrews is warning us. He's encouraging us not to repeat the same behavior, patterns of disobedience and unbelief. Truth like this cannot fully be embraced. It it can't be accepted if we haven't first developed a love for the truth. Why do you think Jesus said something, I think, so imperative, so important to us, the church in 2017. He didn't say it to us, but in this word, we have it. The day is coming where my people will worship me in spirit and in truth. You know, for the charismatic church, I think we got a lot of that spirit lingo going down, but there seems to be an absence of truth. I believe there's an absence of truth because the truth is not always easy to absorb. And if you follow John chapter 10, if you actually give yourself to studying Hebrews chapter 3, these scriptures will give you such adoration, affections for Jesus, a fear, a healthy fear of not just living casually in this wilderness called earth, this time of testing, this time of trials. Oh, my sheep hear my voice. 
They follow me. I know who they are. It's just making sense. This is why Jesus said the day is coming when people will worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth for a woman that day that he said it to at a well was what was needed because this woman believed that she went to the mountain of God and worshipped God. Jesus told her, you know not what you worship. That just... I don't know, maybe I'm in my own little world. You know not the truth. You don't know what you worship. Because your heart, ooh, your heart can't fully absorb the magnitude of my truth. Is it a hearing problem or a belonging problem? How about that for truth? For Jews who felt like, we belong, we're Jews. You talk about some offensive words. Maybe most of us are hearing God's voice. Maybe we just don't like what we're hearing. Because hearing requires obedience. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. some piercing words I, I listen will you do one thing for me this week will you give yourself to just a whole week studying and ripping apart John chapter 10 and you see what you see you, you come across you know the truth of what Jesus is saying there and then you ask yourself the hard questions do I have a hearing problem or do I have a belonging problem My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. It's like Jesus just so brilliantly lines those two realities up. Sometimes, guys, obedience, oh, it's painful. It's painful. Our hearts, guys, we don't always warm to the truth. Man, in in, in studying just Hebrews chapter 3 and John chapter 10, I found my own heart being challenged and offended I've often asked myself the question, what if I was there in Jesus' day? What would I do? What would be the response of my heart, of my lips, of my actions? You know what? I believe I would have picked up that stone that day and threw it at that man. Because the words he was saying is so offensive. And that's what Jesus meant when he confronted the deceitfulness that was in that woman by the well. He said, you know not what you worship. You and your fathers may go to that hill and you may think you worship God. But there's coming a day when you just won't worship God in spirit. You will love God and you will love his truth. Guys, we need a better response to God's truth. Am I making sense? I'm not angry I, I love Jesus, and yelling just seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And you should be around my house, you know, me and Bethany communicate. We're like, you get those shoes out there? No, we don't really do that, but we're, we're a loud crew. 
It was funny, a little story. Um, we were swimming at my parents' house, and um, we had my sister's youngest daughter, Kara, with us, and Abram and his friend Connor, who's here today. No, yeah, Connor. Um, and they were playing out in the water, and <laughs> just give you a little, you know, picture of what being around the temples is like. <laughs> and Kara and the boys had this big raft, and they're out fooling around. All three of them, they're fooling around, and, and the boys get sidetracked, and they're off in another thing, but Kara's like disappeared, and the raft is just like up a little bit. And Bethany's like, Abram, Connor, get, get, get the raft off Kara. Abram, Kara, Abram, and she's yelling at him. And the only one who's frightened is Kara, the little girl under the raft, who's perfectly fine, goes, and we traumatize her, and she never wants to be with us again. But all that to say, we are very loud, um, and I feel comfortable loud, and so forgive me if you don't, but I'm okay with you not being loud, so just be okay with me not being silent. I would bet money, though, on this. The same crisis that existed in Moses' day exists today in the church. But the thing is, the same Jesus that touched a blind man at first glance, who was misjudged by those who would be perceived as Jesus' closest people, are the woman caught in adultery who's about to be stoned, who because of her sin in John chapter 8 could never be considered as being part of Jesus' people. But they are the same ones. This is the awesome, gracious God we serve. Those are the same ones that Jesus makes his family. In closing, let's turn to John chapter 8. Back to the gospel of John. Is this okay? Everybody all right? John chapter 8, verse 34. Let's, let's look at Jesus' Jesus's point of view of how we um, ought to know the truth. Here it is. In verse 34, he says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave. In the same chapter, if we go back just a couple of verses, right, from 34, we see in 31, 32, and 33, Jesus say this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's not, that's not just like some kind of pie-in-the-sky truth that maybe one day we'll stumble upon. Oh, I, I, I found the truth. Jesus is saying, if you abide within these words, if you, if you eat, for lack of better descriptions, if you eat my word, if you take it in and absorb it, you will find truth. And in finding truth, you will be free. It's interesting that after Jesus said this, just a little bit further down in the chapter, those who are listening to Christ want to stone him again. Are you getting a, a kind of systematic 
you know, uh, kind of, I don't know, just some, a picture of people's response to truth. I mean, this kind of seems harmless, but yet we see that these guys that are listening to Christ, they want to do the same thing to the man. We're not even, we're just talking one chapter back from chapter 10. And sure, their excuse was much like their excuses were always that we are the offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, I know. Um, And he goes on to say later in the passage that that's fine, but my, my words find no place in you. You, he, you see, historically, uh, we humans uh, do not warm always to the truth of God's word. Although sometimes a, a scripture verse like John eight thirty four seems like a nice little uh, fortune cookie verse that gives us, you know, you know, Oh, no, the truth will set us free. The truth will set us free. It gives us warm funny fuzzies, excuse me. Um, but, but God's truth, most of the time, is unwelcomed. My, my challenge to us this morning is that we would grow in loving God's truth. It, no matter what the, t- the, the cost, no matter what the offense, no matter how much maybe our hearts want to rise up against that truth and say, where did you say that? Or better yet, not in anger rise up, but just try to contort and twist. And maybe he didn't mean that. Know, there's got to be a hole here. There's got to be some kind of way that we can bend that, twist that, that feel different. But in addition to that, let's not uh, consider ourselves hopeless neither. Um, Historically, God takes those whom seem far off and makes them his people. And I'm grateful for that. Let's pray. Jesus, I trust you to work out the details of this message, but I also trust you, Lord, to work out our own hardness of heart towards the truth, Jesus. I ask God that as we grow in hearing the voice of God, that we would take into consideration the words of Hebrews where it says when God speaks, don't harden your heart. God, sometimes these words in and of themselves can harden my heart. But I ask, Lord, for a new heart. I ask for a new heart within us to fully absorb, fully submit, fully love the truth of your word. Father, I ask that you would bless each and every person here this morning. And God, as we give ourselves to unpacking and reading John chapter 10. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would show us marvelous and wonderful things. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Guys,